How can we realize our full potential? How do we become extraordinary leaders and people of influence? What little changes can we make in our present that will have a big impact on our future? Welcome to Aim Higher, a show designed to help us realize the leadership potential inside of all of us. Together, we are on a journey where we learn by exploring what makes people successful, what makes leaders great. We will challenge each other to leave the mediocre and average behind to aim higher. I'm Skip Pritchard, CEO, author, blogger, student of success, and your host. Today's podcast features an interview with Howard Bihar, formerly an executive with Starbucks. Listen to some of these quotes. Leadership is about being of service to others, not being served by others. Be a mentor, not a boss. The person who sweeps the floor should choose the broom. And here's another one I love. Do it because it's right, not because it's right for your resume. These are a few of the quotes from Howard and some of the things that I took away from this incredible interview. We talked about servant leadership, kindness, empowerment, humility, and the fact that the only reason any of us exist in the world is to serve others. I hope you enjoy this conversation and learn as much from it as I did. Here's Howard Bihar. Today's guest is someone I'm very excited to introduce, Howard Bihar. Howard is someone who worked with Starbucks for over 20 years. He was one of the key leaders through its hyper growth period. He's a board member, he's an author, uh, obviously retired from uh, Starbucks. Uh, Two of his books got my attention. It's not about the coffee and the magic cup, but actually his work on servant leadership is actually what drew us together. He is uh, a servant leader himself and passionate about teaching the concepts of servant leadership. So um, I just couldn't wait to talk to you, Howard, for a couple of years I've been following you. I I found you again. For some reason it showed up and then it disappeared, but we got together. We we got together. And and, uh, as as I just realized, this was not planned, but I am drinking uh, from the Starbucks cup this morning some Starbucks coffee. So... We're in, we're in good shape. Um, so thank you for joining me today, Howard. We're going to jump right into some concepts on servant leadership, since you're all caffeinated like I am. I, I suppose we're ready. So it, we think about uh, servant leadership. It's the theme of the Magic Cup, I think, Vince Steadfast. But putting people first, p- putting values first um, over everything else. Tell us a little bit about why you're so passionate about servant leadership and how you really uh, adopted that as your leadership philosophy. Well, when I was a very young young man, I was in my uh, uh, early 20s. I was you know, working for a mid-20s. I was w- working for somebody that, that gave me a, a little booklet called The Servant as Leader, written by a man named Robert Greenleaf, who coined the term servant leadership. And I started reading that book, and and after reading it a few times and then doing a little more research on Robert Greenleaf and what he thought about servant leadership, it just tweaked my interest because I, I had never had words to put with the things that I felt and how I was trying to act. And so Robert Greenleaf's work gave me words uh, that – Help me define and put and define what who I wanted to be in a more formal sense, and so that's that process started almost 50 years ago, 
And I've been at it ever since. And it just, it just made sense to me. It, 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 I, I, you know, it was kind of how I wanted to be treated as a human being. And so when I was reading this work and trying to be a better leader, it said, I think this is the way that leaders should lead. And that's, I've been at it ever since. I've been, I learn every day about it. Well, of course, I'm familiar with that piece, and his work is extraordinary. It's groundbreaking. He did coin it. And uh, it's so important. As, as leaders, though, sometimes we may want to adopt a philosophy, but replicating that philosophy is, is sometimes hard. How do, you, how do you, as a leader, instill that servant leadership practice to uh, other leaders in the company so that it's pervasive? Well, first of all, you just have to live it. It has to be who you are, and it has to be consistent and ongoing. And then you have to talk about it. You have to talk about what it means and, and why you think it's important and why you think that the, our organization should be led that way. And we did lots of that at, at the companies that I've been at before. But, you know, at Starbucks, we really put it to work. And I came with it. And, and, and Starbucks was a very small company. It was only 28 stores when I joined. And I just started right from the beginning saying we want to be a servant-led company. And fortunately, Howard Schultz and Orrin Smith agreed. And they didn't have the they didn't use those words when I first met them. But I brought that language and the vocabulary to Starbucks, and we just drove it. We just it became who we were. It wasn't it wasn't a program of the day. It it became who we were as human beings because that's what it has to be. It can't be. You can't just take it off the shelf and say give it to your people and say, read this and then do it. You have to do it yourself first and you have to hold other people accountable for doing it. And it's just an ongoing process. And it takes lots and lots of time to integrate it into your organization, to get people to really understand it. And then what happens, you bring new people in the organization that don't understand or don't get it. And you have to have the patience to bring them along. Or you have to have the ability when they can't come along, you have to be able to say, you know, we love you, but you just don't fit here. Yeah, I think that's important and, and sometimes hard. I, I'm wondering if, if you've experienced this. I've seen some people who adopt the servant leadership mentality. I want to serve you. I want to do my best for you. And those same people sometimes, I've noticed, have a, have a difficult time holding people accountable because they so want to serve and so want to make you work and so want to make everything happy that they, they take the burden on themselves. Have you seen that too, that struggle? Absolutely. It happens all the time. We, we had that issue at Starbucks. Servant leadership is is not about, I mean, it's about accountability too. It's not, and it's about performance. It isn't about being nice, right? So it, true. That's the last thing it is, right? So it, true. It, it, it's about holding yourself accountable, about treating people with respect and dignity, about understanding that your role as a leader is, is to serve your people in the journey of them helping them accomplish their goals while they help the organization accomplish its goals. But it's a two-way street, and it has to be two-way street. And so it's not it, you – you absolutely hold people accountable, not only for being a servant leader, but, but for performance, whatever that performance it means in your organization. And it's, that's what servant leadership is all about. You know, and Greenleaf in in the in the pamphlet to serve as a leader, that's one of the things he talks about is climbing the mountain. Remember the journey that they were on? That's right. Well, they had to get to the mountain, but he was there to serve them to climbing the mountain. They had a goal, climb the mountain. 
right? But they had to achieve the goal, but they had to do it in a way that put people up, not put people down. And we still have to do the work and climb the mountain. Yes, yeah, yes. the mountain's yeah. gotta be climbed, you know? Kindness, kindness does not mean that we're not moving forward and, and up that mountain. And if you don't wanna come, then, then yeah. there's, there's a different journey for you. That you're not direct and that you don't hold people accountable. Kindness means sometimes really serious conversations. You I know? find that so often missed, and so yeah, I'm glad you articulate that. People fall into the trap, I'm supposed to be nice. Yeah, you're supposed to be nice, but you're also supposed to be demanding, and you're supposed to expect results, and you're supposed to communicate about both. Well said. I, I also think about that mountain, I, I think about it in a different way, which is uh, the vision of where we're going. And great leaders paint that vision, and I think Starbucks did such a great job of painting the vision of something bigger than just uh, profits or themselves. How do you get other people throughout the organization to embrace some idea or something bigger than uh, what they might expect? Well, first of all, uh, you have to really define the purpose of the organization. And the purpose of any organization, it has to be bigger than the organization itself. And then you have to talk about it. And you have to get you know, get encourage your people to attach to that greater purpose and to live by the values of the organization. And that's really the driving force. And then you hold each other accountable to that purpose and and what it all means. And it's not just, it can't be something that's just sitting up in thin air. You know, it's, it's got to be written down. You got to talk about it a lot. You know, how many companies have mission statements that sit on a wall and they never look at it after they wrote it? A mission statement and a guiding principle is there a lot. And so that means you have to be talking about them all the time, holding each other accountable to them and have the mechanisms to do that. But, you know, it's you have to just stay with it. I say I used to say that I've given the same speech 10,000 times, you know, that the bit we're about people and that we're about performance and we're about coffee. But in that order, you know, it's people first, performance second, coffee third. And and that's what we stayed with. And I don't care where we went in the world. That's what we did, and that's what we talked about. And that's what we held each other accountable to. Well, Howard, I, I agree, as you know, so strongly with your principles. Um, I do disagree with the order, depending on the time of day. Coffee is number one for me when I first wake <laughs> up. But I'm with you the rest of the day. It's not about the coffee. You share uh, so many principles in that book. I, I love it. And uh, one of them is know who you are, wear one hat. I'd love for you just to tell uh, our audience a little bit about what that is. Wear one hat. What does that mean? One hat, you know, if I say to my wife, well, wear, wear one hat. And she says, that's easy for you to say, but I do this, I do this, I got to do this. You're not here all the time. All that's, not, that's not the hat I'm talking about. I'm talking about the hat that you wear that defines who you are as a human being. What are your values? How do those values inform your decisions and your actions in life. And you know, and you have to be thoughtful about that. You have to write them down. I remember the first exercise I went through where somebody told me that, you know, you need to be thoughtful about your life and you need to really understand what your values are. I never really thought about it. I was just Howard being Howard until I started that journey and really trying to define my values until I got down to eight core values. And those eight core values inform my life. Well, the one hat is representative of those values. It's how you live to those values. So, you know, uh, the best way I can explain it is this. So you have a hat you put on 
you put on and you wear it hopefully throughout all your day. You wear it in your significant other, with your significant other, your mar- your wife's husband, whatever it happens to be. You wear it at work. You wear it with your parents. You wear it in your spiritual life. You wear it with the rest of your family. You wear it in your community. And wherever you are, that hat is on your head. And everybody knows what that hat means. And you you really know what that hat means. So you wake up in the morning, you look across the bed. And if you have to change your hat, you better really evaluate whether you're in the right relationship or not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think about, so you have, your hat represents, one of the values in your hat is honesty. Well, if you're living with somebody that shoplists every day because they like to have nice things, you know, no matter how much you may love that person, that's in a direct conflict with one of your values. So you better decide, you know, are you going to take your hat off to live with this person? Or are you going to say, I can't live with this? Or if you go to work and your boss, you go to Starbucks, you open the front door and your boss says, you know, those numbers you turned on the other day, can you just adjust this one a little bit here? Because we almost made it and it won't hurt anybody if you make this a seven instead of a six, but it's dishonest. So now you have to decide, do I do that or not? And so all the way through your life, whatever your values are, you know, if you want to have a fulfilling life, and when I mean fulfilling, I mean happiness, joy, sadness, disappointment, all the things that go to make up a whole life, a fulfilling life, then you got to be able to wear your hat throughout your whole life, no matter where you go. And if if your hat is in conflict with the values of your organization that you're in, then you better evaluate whether you're with the right organization or not. You've got to leave. It's it's so it's so profound. It's simple and profound. And I wonder how many problems um, happen as a direct result of changing that hat. Uh, I think causes all kinds of dysfunction in uh, people's lives and organizations. So, absolutely, I, people. I, I give a lot of speeches to young college students. You know that are in um, you know graduating MBAs. You know and uh, I t- we talk about what their hat is, and then they, you know, then they say, "Well, I've got to get a job, so I just got to take something that comes up." I said, "No, you don't. You're not a victim here. You better, you better really understand what the values of the organization you, you're thinking about going to work with, and understand whether they fit with yours. And if they don't, you better really be thoughtful about what it is you can deal with here. And most people I find are unhappy because, uh, not because they don't necessarily like they work." They're unhappy because they can't align with the greater purpose of the organization, and they're not aligned with the values of the organization, and the organization's not aligned with theirs. So very true. Let's turn to a completely different principle from that same book, and it's a quote that people, um, I see it often from you, and it's something to the effect of the person who sweeps the floor should choose the broom. And I've, I've seen you talk about this, and this concept of empowerment, that really puts it in such clear terms. I think that's probably why the quote is, is so resonates so much, because usually we talk about employment, empl- you know, employee empowerment, but what does that mean? That really hits it home. Uh, talk a little bit about that one. As long as you do it the way I want you to do it, you're empowered. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's but, right. That's not know, good. Yeah, that's not good. So. You know, in, in my early days, uh, I always wanted to be able to vote. And that's where the quote started from. It said, I want to be able to vote on my areas of expertise. I wanted to have some responsibility and accountability. It wasn't so much authority, but responsibility and accountability for my performance and the performance of my team. And so when I got to Starbucks, 
I I started to think how do I def- how do I get people to understand it? And you know, we of course had floor sweepers, people that clean floors, you know, clean. The- and my point was, who better knows what broom to choose in terms of what it takes to sweep a floor than the person who's doing the work? And so I was trying to get across, look, we hire these great people to come into our organization, and then we tell them everything that they're not supposed to do. Right. And then if they come to us with an idea, you know, we roll our eyes and we say, can't you see I'm busy, you know? But, you know, if you really want to get the most out of your people, you know, give them, tell them what their job is, tell them what the purpose of their job is, why it's important to the organization, what the goals should be, at least at this point in time, if they're, you know, they'll begin to set their own goals after a little bit of time, but what their goal should be. And then, and then encourage them to get the tools or to do the things that they need to do to figure out what broom to choose or what computer to choose or whatever it is to do their job. And, you know, companies strangle people, right? We, we basically take all the wind out of their sails as soon as we, you know, somebody comes and says, well, I'd like to buy this broom. And then you say to them, well, you know, the purchasing department says we can all, this is the only, this broom is the only one you can really buy. The one you want may be all right, but, but you can't do that. And that, that, that kills innovation. And it, it's what stars companies. And it it's, goes on all the time. I'm fascinated you talk about this, um, this empowerment and even choosing the broom. And I'm thinking about this great brand, Starbucks, that you helped uh, build and expand so much around the world. And making coffee is uh, part art, part science, I'm sure. Uh, I'm not an expert, but I'm an expert in terms of drinking it. And what I'm wondering is the empowerment and letting people choose, and yet you have such an exact, I know you're retired from Starbucks, but there's such an exact science. There's a methodology that every single store follows precisely. I'm amazed by it. Wherever I go around the world, I can be in China, I can be in Europe, Africa. It is exactly, perfectly what I want to have the same cup of coffee. How do you balance the need for precision and corporate standards and brand global kind of representation with the ability to empower? Or when do you allow that to happen? Well, let's get, let's take an example, probably the best example. We had a a district manager in Southern California. Her name was Dina Campion. And Dina had a responsibility for about 10 stores. And one day she called me to come down and visit her. And of course, I love to be in the field. That's the best place. So I went to visit her, and we went on a tour of some of our stores and some of our competitor stores. And one of the competitor stores, she bought me a drink. And I and she said, you know, we have customers coming in every day wanting a drink like this. And I said, really? How many do you think we could sell? She says, oh, probably about 30 a day. And so I I I talked to her, and, and I said, that's a great idea, Dana. Let me take it back to Seattle. And I took the idea back to Seattle, and I presented it to the people that were responsible, the head of marketing and product development, and and there was not one single vote in favor of this. As a matter of fact, the head of marketing who was in charge of product development says, that's not the business we're in, okay? And so remember, Dina and her broom. So Dina had a responsibility. Her goals were to grow the business, to have great people in the company, treat her customers well, among many things. So she was just trying to serve her customers and to grow the business. So I... You know, it was a rejection of her of her idea of, of Dina's broom. So I called her up and said, Dina, you're going to be disappointed, but no, there's no uh, 
nobody wants to do this right now. And I said, Get, let's give it a few months and we'll come back at it. So about four weeks later, she called me up on the phone. She said, Dina, can you come visit? Or Howard, can you come visit me again? And I said, Dina, what is it that you want? She says, I want to talk a little bit more about the drink. I said, Dina, you know what the answer is. Just leave it alone for a while. She says, Howard, please come down. I said, well, Dina, I'm not going to make a special trip, but I have to be down there in three weeks, and I'll stop by and see you in one of your stores. So I did. I stopped by the Third Street Promenade store in Santa Monica, California. And I said, she says, go sit down at one of the tables. And I did. And she brought me three little sample cups. And I looked at it. I said, Dina, these taste remarkably like <laughs> that drink you bought me. Are you trying to get me fired? Remember we told you that we couldn't go ahead with this? She said, Howard, she looked with these big brown Italian eyes. And she said, Howard, please let me touch. Please let us try this. Nadine is one of those kind of people like, you know, like a little dog with really sharp teeth. And once they sink their teeth into your calf, you know, no matter what you do to shake them off, they don't shake off. Well, that's Dina. So, you know, it was one of those times in my leadership career when and everybody has them where you have to make you make a decision, maybe sometimes to go against the norm. So, you know, Dina knew more about what was going on in her business than anybody else did. She knew that we were losing customers every day because we didn't have a product like this. So, you know, Dina knew more about what kind of broom to choose than we did. So. I said, okay, Dina, you can try it, but don't tell a soul what you're doing. <laughs> she had bought the equipment, the, all the stuff she needed to make this product. So I said, you call me every night with, with, with the results. Now remember, she told me 30 drinks a day. First week, she had not only 30 drinks a day, but about 40 drinks a day per store. Second week, about 50 drinks a day per store. Third week, about 70 drinks a day per store. This was going to lift our business by 10 to 15%, and the profits even more because it had a lot of ice in this drink, you know. So uh, anyway, so, you know, Dina and her broom. So I invited Dina up to Seattle to present again. I was thinking, Howard, you're a genius, you know, you know, allowed Dina to do this. But I brought her, I invited her up, and she came up with her people and brought her product up with her. And I had called another meeting and everybody was sitting around the room and she brought the sample cups in. Well, the guy that was the head of marketing no sooner took a sip than he got up out of his chair and Howard Schultz was there at the time, but he pointed at me. He said, Bihar, I thought I told you we weren't going to do this. I'm in charge of product development. You're not. Well, I had this sheet of paper that had all the results on it, what it was going to do to lift the business. And I looked at Howard Schultz. I said, give me 90 days. In 90 days, if you don't even like the smell of it, we'll get rid of it. But, you know, I knew nothing ever goes away in retail if it's working. So Dina and her broom. So what do you think Dina's broom was? What broom did she choose? What was the product? Whatever the unique coffee was. It was Frappuccino. Frappuccino. Something that we did so Frappuccino. Yeah. What do you think the global, global sales I was are? thinking it would be some niche kind of thing. The global sales for Frappuccino are around $4 billion. Today, Unbelievable. Both yeah. bottled and fresh in the stores. I mean, you know, so I could have easily said to Dina, follow Dina, the rules. It's the damn broom I gave you. You know, wow. don't create new drinks. We'll create the new drinks. That, but that is goes on amazing. Time and, and that's what I'm talking about here. I'm not pleading for anarchy here. You know, you have to have some kind of, uh, you know, sieve to put these things through. You can't just do everything all the time. But, you know, sometimes you got to step up. You know, I, I had very few rules. 
in leading people. Don't do anything illegal. Don't do anything moral. Don't do anything unethical. And sure as hell, don't poison anybody. (laughs) If you can live with those, we're willing to try things. But all too often, you reject somebody's idea because they're new to the company or because, you know, you're just out of hand. You just say, I I don't don't even be bothered. That is an amazing story. I was really thinking it'd be some niche kind of drink in California. Not, I had no idea you would say Frappuccino. Well, what, I, would, I just want to have one uh, last question because servant leadership and you, your uh, personality is, is very clear uh, humility. And you've had this tremendous, tremendous success and yet you're uh, humble. How do leaders stay humble in the middle of wild success? Well, how do they stay humble? I think you practice humility, right? I don't think humility is always there. And sometimes, you know, it's, you know, I have this board of directors that sits on my shoulders and they're talking to me all the time. And one of them is not humble. One of them is when I give a speech and I get a standing ovation and one of them says, hey, Howard, you're fantastic. But I have another one that is a much stronger voice, and it's always a saying to me, Howard, you're not that good. You know, you're here to contribute like everybody else is. You know, you know, keep your hat on. You know, don't get carried away. And so I'm, I practice humility. You know, it comes natural to me at some levels. You know, it's I, I grew up in a humble, humble beginnings and a father that had a small mom and pop grocery store. And he was about serving people, and that's where I learned it from, you know. But it's just stay. You got to practice it. You got to remind yourself about who you are and who you're not. And remember, at the end of the day, there's only one reason any of us exist in this world, and that's to serve others. I don't care what you do. You're a widget maker that makes widgets that go into a printing press that gets sold to a publishing company that uh, who produces a newspaper or a magazine that gets delivered to somebody's home to inform or entertain them. That lowly, humble that widget maker serves people all the way up to being a doctor or a lawyer or or serving coffee. You know, it's always about serving people. And if you remember that, that you're here to serve people, it helps you remain humble. I do like how you said doctor, lawyer, or serving coffee (laughs) at the top. It's it's the highest (laughs) calling. Well, Howard, thank you so much. I think everyone can see why I wanted to talk to you for so long. Two great books a record of success and leadership, and this willingness to, in retirement, give back and share your principles is something that is so appreciated. So thank you so much for sharing these principles of servant leadership with us. And uh, I look forward to, at some point, sharing a, a cup of coffee with you in person. I'll and look uh, I continue to follow you and, and share uh, your work as well. So thank you for joining us. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to Aim Higher with Skip Pritchard. Check out skippritchard.com for more episodes, interviews, book reviews, and leadership insights. And if you like what you hear, please rate us in iTunes. Until next time, remember, don't settle for the mediocre, always aim higher. <laughs>